They sit. And now, please, uh, for our second reading and our text this morning, if you would turn to uh, John's Gospel and to John chapter 16, please. The Upper Room Discourse. Uh, this brings my studies uh, in the Upper Room Discourse to, to a conclusion. Our text this morning is the very last verse, verse 33, if you would like to uh, pay particular attention to it. So we'll take up the reading at verse 25, John's Gospel, chapter 16, reading from verse 25 to the end of the chapter. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and, I, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, courage, that is. I have overcome the world. That last verse, 33, is our text this morning. Take courage, take heart, says the Lord Jesus. He has um, already, of course, spoken um, about the world and the troubles that... Um, his disciples, his men, will incur, of course, after his uh, departure. How that they will experience uh, opposition. If we uh, go back to verse 16, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. Um, sorry, um, in verse 4, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Following his departure, they're going to be faced with tribulation, with trouble, persecuted, even cast out of their synagogues, and, um, and some even will seek to put them to death. And of course, this is a lot for any of... Uh, uh, disciples of the Lord even till this time to the end of the age. We enter in through that 
straight gate, that narrow pathway, narrow gate, and travel down that narrow pathway, and it's tribulation, it's trouble all the way. But Jesus, he tells his disciples, he tells us, he says, in me you will have peace, chapter 14 and verse 27. In me, that is, in Christ, abiding in him, abiding in his word, abiding in his love, abiding in him, not in the world, but abiding in him, they will have peace. And then, of course, um, he tells them in chapter 15 and verse 19, he tells them there, he says, the world will hate you, it won't love you, it will hate you, it will be your enemy. They will excommunicate you, chapter 16, verse 2, and they will seek to kill you. But the Holy Spirit, he comes and he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will leave them without any excuse at all because of their unbelief, because of all that God has accomplished and done through his son, Jesus Christ, and because of all that Jesus himself has done. He will, he will convict them of the righteousness of God. He will convict them of the judgment to come. They will be left without any excuse whatsoever. The world is for the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, then and now, a grim place, and will become, towards the end of the age, will become increasingly grimmer for the elect of God, those who dwell in this world. But says Jesus, rejoice, take heart, he says, be of good cheer, the old version says. Why? Because you are mine, because I have overcome the world. You can't lose. That's an impossibility. I have overcome the world on your behalf for you. And then, of course, this concurs with, um, with what the psalmist says uh, back in Psalm uh, two, where he says, um, um, uh, speaking about the world and the nations that rage against God and against his people, verse 4, he says, he who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, the Lord Jesus Christ, our conquering Redeemer and Savior. This, the Apostle John tells us, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, he says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Abiding by faith, abiding in Christ, abiding in his word, abiding in his love. Conquest. Take heart. I have overcome the world, your enemy. So three things, the world, the peace, and the calling. The, what does Jesus mean by, or what does John mean in his writings? What does he mean by the world? The theologian Abram Kuyper, he says, he means an organized civilization 
that is a tool in Satan's hand against God, against his Christ, and against his elect people in this dispensation, this New Testament dispensation. An organized civilization. It may not appear, it may not look to you as being organized, but organized it is. The society of the ungodly, wicked of this world. It has a supervisor. It has a prince, the prince of this world. Jesus has already, in the upper room discourse, Jesus has already referred to him. He is its supervisor. He is its one head. He is the prince of this world. He is Satan. That one whom Jesus says elsewhere was a murderer, a liar from the beginning. He is the supervisor. He is the organizer of this present evil world. And of course, he has other fallen angels at his behest. He has some um, demonic forces that he uses to his ends. I think we in... Um, in the Reformed community, I, I think the um, charismatic Pentecostal movement has, has, has frightened us away from this subject. But demonic forces there are. It's not an extremity to say that this world is a demonic world. There are demonic forces abroad. You walk down the high street and you see men and women who are blinded to the reality of God and of Christ and of salvation, of their sin and of their need of salvation. You've got institutions within the nation, in the realms of government, in the realms of the education system. Demonic forces are at work deceiving and blinding men and women. This is the world in which you live. This is the world that Jesus has overcome. Satan is the head, he's the organizer, he's the prince. Uh, the whole world, 1 John 5 verse 19, lies in wickedness. In the ESV here, it says, under the power of the evil one. It's under, the world is under his power. With the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, at that point, at that juncture, Satan is cast out of heaven. No longer is he able to accuse the brethren there in heaven. Atonement has been made for their sins. Satan is cast out of heaven. Now his domain is here in the world. Peter tells us he goes about the world seeking whom he may devour a roaring lion. Under the power of the evil one, and it is united. It may not appear to you to be united, but this world of which John speaks is a united world, and it is united in this one thing, in its opposition to God, its hatred of God, absolutely virulent hatred of God, of Christ, and of his people, his elect people. The church, that is. So the world is not our friend. 
The world is our enemy. It's a dangerous enemy. James says, chapter 4, verse 4, if the world is your friend, then you are not a friend of God. And it operates this world in its opposition against God, against Christ, and against us. It operates in two ways, in the way of temptation and the way of tribulation, as Jesus speaks here in verse 33. In the way of temptation, seeking to corrupt the church, to bring worldliness, to bring its principles and its culture into the church as it tempted Adam and Eve in the beginning, so Satan and his forces, the world. Satan is a spiritual being, uh, so he has to have flesh and blood creatures, um, you know, to use in order to uh, bring about his purposes, uh, corruption, you know, in, in the church. So the world... Um, his, his tool, his instrument. The world obeys Satan. He is its prince, its organizer. The world does what Satan, it's under his control and obeys him. And of course, um, you see this in our present day culture, how that the world seeks to make sin attractive. It seeks to make sin beneficial. Uh, to appear beneficial, at least anyway, and makes righteousness appear as evil. Look at these nasty Christians, you know, with their, 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 their hatred, they, they, they oppose same-sex relationships and, and marriages, they're narrow and they're, they're bigoted and they're nasty and they're unloving. And they portray the same relationships through the, the, the media and the internet as being loving and not like these Christians, you know. They, 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 they make sin look, they seek to make sin look attractive. And righteousness, obedience to God as being narrow and bigoted and nasty and unloving. That's the world. And of course, they have, the, the world has at its fingertips, it, it has all the tools, it has, it has the media that has virtually, in our own nation, has, has virtually silenced the voice of the church, the evangelical church, in, in, in the nation. Through the media, through, through, through uh, the, the news media, through the, the internet, even advertising. You can't even pick up a daily newspaper without being, without being confronted with pornography. The entertainment industry, the world's tool instrument in order to bring before you temptation, the lures of this world operates, of course, in the realm of flesh of the flesh because that's, that's our weaker, weakest point, appealing to the flesh. Um, as, as, well, we are warned again and again in the New Testament to be on our guard, 
not giving way, having escaped, says the Apostle Peter, the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's how it works. 1 John 2 verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, it's not of God, our God, it's of the world. It promotes sexual immorality. It promotes self-indulgence, materialism, greed, avarice. Um, Titus 2, uh, verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, hasn't come to all men, but appeared to all men, teaching, training us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, these temptations that the world brings to you, we should live soberly, righteous, and godly in this present present evil world that's under the control, under the sway, the power of the evil one. And that seeks, that seeks to bring us down by means of temptation. Think of the, 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 the Old Testament false prophet Balaam, who was hired by Balak the king to, to bring about the destruction of Israel. But he can't do it because he sees, God tells him he's, he's blessed Israel and he sees no, no sin in Israel in his people. Why? Because, well, because God has justified them. So what does he do? He, he, um, he changes tack and he brings the Moabite women in amongst Israel. He brings immorality, temptation, sexual immorality. And of course, that brings, that brings the plague, the wrath of God upon Israel. Temptation. And then tribulation. The word tribulation, the original speaks of pressure, speaks of, of, of squeezing. In the world you shall have squeezing, you shall have pressure. You're on a narrow pathway. It, 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 it's, there's pressure either side, squeezing. Yeah? The world will use to this end, it will use ridicule. You see it with the disciples uh, following Pe Pentecost. It begins with ridicule. Look at these men. Nine o'clock in the morning and there's drunk skunks ridiculing them. Yeah? And then it turns to scorn. And then it turns to threats. And it turns to violence. And then it turns to killing to beating. It progresses to fines, imprisonment, torture, and death. And you see it even in the world at large today. Not in our own country, but in other places. China, North Korea, Pakistan. Christians have been burnt alive even now as I speak. This is the world. This is Satan's domain. You enter through that turnstile, that narrow gate, narrow pathway, pressure, pressure all the way. As soon as you enter through the turnstile, of course, it's joy and gladness. You know, you've been saved and full of the joy of the Lord and, and you think this is wonderful. Everybody, I need to tell everybody about this. This is what, what's happened to me. 
You know, you begin to address, address family members or, or, or neighbors or work colleagues, telling them about Jesus, and, and it's not long before you, you find out it's not so lovely after all. They, they don't want this. Jesus uh, was tempted. Jesus was squeezed that they don't want him in their world and they don't want you in their world either. And so they want to squeeze you out of it, pressurize you out of it, pressurize you into giving up, pressurizing into to, to, to compromise, to go back. That's the world. The reality of it. And Satan has his employees that he will use to this end. But, says Jesus, I have overcome the world. This world, this evil world. I have overcome. And of course, that goes, this goes right back to the beginning, doesn't it? This goes back to the garden. The old war, the two seeds, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And God tells us there, he has put enmity, he has put that hostility, God has put that hostility there between the two seeds. But of course the promise, that original promise, is that Jesus will bruise the serpent's head. And that's what he's going away to do. That's why he must go away. That's why it's to their advantage that he goes away. That little while, that micro moment in the eons of eternity when Jesus was hanged on that tree, overcoming the world for us on our behalf. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith in Jesus, in his person, and in what he has done. He has crushed our enemy, our, all our enemies. He has crushed our arch enemy, Satan, the organizer, controller of this world. He has crushed his head on the cross and brought his heel firmly down upon him. The world, in the world, you will have tribulation. But secondly, in the peace, he says, um, I have said these things to you that in me, in me that is, abiding in me, abiding in my word, abiding in my love, abiding in me, in me you may have peace. This is not the world's peace. The world's peace is different. The world's peace is a false peace. It's a counterfeit peace. It consists of a, a transient absence of trouble. The world's peace would be the, um, the end of the war between uh, Ukraine and Russia, the end of any and of all war. Um, the world's peace is transient, it never lasts. And because of the curse 
because of the wrath of God that lies upon mankind because of its apostasy from God, the world can never have peace, no matter how much it works towards that end. Some, what, 80 years ago, uh, they formed the United Nations following the Second World War. They said, no more wars and no more famine. Um, there'll be more wars since the forming of the United Nations than ever there was before. No matter how much the world tries to make peace, to build peace, it cannot, because the curse of God that's operating, that's a force, that's a power that's working in the world of humanity, apostate from God. The peace that Jesus speaks about here is peace that comes as a result of a right relationship with God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 speaks of that peace. Um, uh, peace through our Lord Jesus Christ, justified by grace, by the grace of God, through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore the world is at war with us. And the world is always at war because of sin and because of the curse and the wrath of God that lies upon humankind. But the peace that Jesus speaks about here is the speak as the peace as a result of his cross, his going away that little while. The forgiveness, our justification, the curse is lifted, is taken away from us. Galatians 3 verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us by dying the curse of death. John MacArthur, he said, he said, I've heard it from his own lips, he said, um, he said it would not have mattered how Jesus died, he could have been bludgeoned to death, he only had to die. I don't know what kind of Bible he's reading, Jesus had to be hanged on the cross, it had to be the cross, it had to be that cursed death in order to lift the curse off of us, we who believe, who trust in his name. Blood had to be shed. There's no remission without the shedding of blood. So we have peace with God because our sin has been paid for and paid with full, and therefore we have peace with God, objective, and we have the peace of God, subjective, through the dying, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, he in me, he is our peace, Christ. There's no peace without Christ. Through his reconciling blood. And so therefore the world perishes. Look around you. Perishing, perishing everywhere you look. Broken in body, broken in mind, broken spiritually. Perishing now and to perish from eternity unless there's salvation. Paul says, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following, under the wrath of God for the wrath of God 
the holy displeasure of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress, that's the world, who suppress the truth of the knowledge of God in their unrighteousness, in their wickedness. That's the revel. That's not. That's not. That's not. A, that's not a revelation of the, uh, of the nature of God, uh, of God in nature. That that's that's a revelation of the wrath of God, and why Paul says he's so eager to go to Rome and everywhere else to preach the gospel. Because that's the only antidote to the wrath of God, revealed from heaven against their ungodliness and wickedness. So, when our hearts are troubled, when, um, when you're distressed, as a, as a believer, when, when your peace is disturbed for, for whatever reason, the answer is the same, is coming back to Jesus, is coming back to Christ, is coming back to the gospel because, because the gospel's the cure-all. It's our medicine. It's the medicine for every and any trouble that a Christian has. Back to the gospel and why we always, always, always need to be preaching the gospel. Because that's the answer. Coming back to Christ in him, in me, you will have peace, he says. That's where your peace lies. No oh, peace without him. That's the remedy. Faith. You believe in God. Believe also in me, he says. Let not your heart be troubled. Only believe. To bring back, abide in me. And abide in my word. Come back to his word. Again and again and again. In trouble. Attend the means of grace. When you're in trouble, when your peace is disturbed, when you're distressed, the natural reaction is to, is to, is to crawl into your cave and, and just stay away from everybody. That's not the answer, beloved. To attend the means of grace. Make yourself do it. Get yourself under the gospel, the preaching of the gospel again, not neglecting it, but embracing the truth again and again and again. He loves. He loves his own. Saved out of this world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That's it. I mean, that, that's, that, that's the astonishing, that's, that's the amazing thing. It's not, it's not the bigness, it's not the size of the world that God loves. God so loves this evil, this evil, wicked world that lies under the power of Satan. God loves it. That whoever believes... And Jesus shall not perish, shall not die in their sin, but have peace, have peace with God and have the peace of God. Sinners, disciples, their, their peace is going to be disturbed mega style. <laughs> Peter's going to be in the courtyard and he's going to be blaspheming and cursing and denying that he even knew Jesus. 
Yeah. What was, what were those three days like for Peter? Can't even begin to imagine. John stands beneath the cross next to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and watches that trauma. Hmm? Others flee in terror. Well, they all flee, don't they? You'll all be scattered. Why doesn't, why doesn't Jesus keep them? Why doesn't he give them the courage to stand? Because, because they must be scattered. They can't stand. Yeah? Peter says he will. He says, these, these, they might forsake you, Lord, but me, I'll stand. No, Peter, you won't. You'll all, all of you, be scattered, he says. Why must it be that way? Because Jesus must do this thing alone. He must go to that cross alone. There can't be anybody but anybody, and I mean anybody. There can't be anybody who, when it's done, when it's finished, can stand up and say, I helped him. I stood with him. I contributed to this. Jesus must do this alone. And in that little while that he speaks about when he's gone, he hangs upon that tree, upon that cross, between heaven and earth, cursed. Unfit for heaven, unfit for earth. That's what the cross means. Abandoned and alone. Alone like you never knew what alone meant. Alone in all of God's creation. The curse and the wrath of God lying upon him to save, to save you. Yeah? So, that's why they must fly. That's why they must be scattered. It's only by grace any of us ever stands in the face of persecution from the world, from Satan, the devil, or anybody else. They'll be given that grace later on because every one of the apostles, save John, every one of them were, were martyred. So they did stand in the end. But because they were given the grace to stand. Then. But not now. This he must do alone. Christ. And Christ alone. But after the resurrection, of course, well, there'll be joy. Your sorrow will be turned into joy, he says, and you will have peace. These will return to you through faith by abiding. And this is why I'm telling you these things, he says again and again. I'm telling you this. Why? Why is he telling them and telling you this? Because, because, because. You'll remember, and of course, there's another teaching session. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and of course, that makes an eternity of a difference, doesn't it? Eh? 
baptized in the Holy Spirit and, you know, light illumination, the light comes on. Yes, we understand, we get it, we know what he's talking about. But there was another session, wasn't there? There was a 40-day seminary following the resurrection just prior to Pentecost. Talk about theological seminary. What must that have been like? We don't know what they were taught then, but um, judging from Peter's um, <laughs> preaching at Pentecost, um, they, they received some, um, some light and some knowledge. Even Thomas, after, after a week of sheer unbelief, my Lord and my God believed. The risen Christ came to him and rescued him. Isaiah, he tells us, the world, he says, all the nations of the world, every one of them, all put together. He said that it's like a, a drop in a bucket from God's perspective. Like a, a tiny little speck of sinful dust on the horizon of God's universe. So when all its fearsome powers come together, you know, the world with its confederacies, you know, gather together against the Lord and against his anointed, against his elect people. As well, we're told, you know, that, well, that's how it pans out in the end, isn't it? Under the, the beast out of the sea, Revelation 13, the... the false prophet, the man of sin, and, and all that, you know. And, and, well, in Revelation 17, and verse 17, uh, Johnny says, for, for God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And their confederacies coming against God and against his people, all they do is all they will do is they will fulfill God's will. Because this God is it's God that's in control. So it says Jesus, take heart. Take courage, he says. Yes, tribulation, squeezing, pressurizing. They want you out of it. They want to comfort. Take heart. Take courage, he said. Stand up to them. They're bullies. Bullies are cowards. Stand up to them. On the basis of truth, cultivate a courageous heart. Don't be cowed by them. Take the sword of the Spirit in your hand and cut down all the doubts and fears, difficulties and failures. You're a justified child of God. You need to be more biblically realistic. The gospel, beloved, the gospel. We've got the victory. So anyone, Jeremiah tells us, Way back then, Babylon has fallen. Revelation, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. I have overcome the world. 
and live with the inner peace and assurance that's yours, a blood-bought right that's yours. Assurance of your justification and of your adoption that you're a child of God. Romans 5 verses 1 and following again, the two go together. They're so close that almost both doctrines almost melt one into the other. But they're but they are separate. In justification, the sinner believes in Jesus. The father dons, dons the judge's garments and the judge's cap, and he brings down his gavel, and he says, not, not just not guilty, he says, righteous. Justified. Just like you had never sinned. And then immediately... He takes off the judge's garments, puts down his gavel, he gets down off the bench, and he grabs hold of the sinner and he hugs him or her and says, my child, welcome to my family. Justification and adoption through faith in the blood of God's son, Jesus Christ. He has, this is us, this is ours. Yeah? This is ours. Our lives are hid inseparably, inseparably in Christ. I know. I, I, I know you know the words well and you, you've probably read them thousands of times, but listen to them again this morning. Romans chapter 8. Just let, think on, just let the words Sink down into your soul. Listen carefully. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who? Who can be against us? Huh? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for it all, how will he not also with him graciously give us, you, all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who can bring a charge against you? Who can bring an accusation against you? When Balaam was seeking to bring Israel down, God's telling them, I don't see any sin in Israel. And he doesn't see any sin in the Israel of God today. He has justified us. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us with his sacrificial blood, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, squeezing, pressurizing, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we have been killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So whatever comes, beloved in Christ, whatever comes your way, in the coming new year or the years that lie ahead. God's promise, Romans 8 verse 28, is that he will use it for good. Because you serve the lion of the tribe of Judah. Because you serve the risen. You serve the risen Christ. And so says Paul, Romans 15, he says, Now the God of hope, that's our God, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our peace. Our peace. I have said these things to you. Remember them. I said these things to you. That in me you may have peace. That's our calling, thirdly and finally. Take heart, he says. Take courage. It's in the imperative. It's an admonition. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. Take heart, beloved in Christ. Take heart, that is, be comforted, be consoled by the Holy Spirit now given, of course, who comforts us how by our abiding in Christ, by faith, by our abiding in his word, by faith, by us abiding in his love, by faith, 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 every step of the way. The admonition corresponds to, you know, the miracles of Jesus. He makes it effective, effectual. He says to the, the daughter, uh, be of good comfort, your faith has made you whole. And it happens. He speaks to the sea, says, calm, be still. And it is. He says, he commands you likewise. He says, do not be afraid. He says, take good heart. Be of good courage. The intention is to give encouragement to his discouraged disciples. And anyone who would be discouraged here this morning too, of course. Because the disciples at this junction are anything but. They, they say, well, now you're talking plainly. Now we understand. But they don't. They don't. Do you now believe, says Jesus? I don't think so. They will, though. Savingly, I mean. They're troubled. They're sorrowful. They're afraid. And Jesus says they will weep, they will lament, they will be in terrible, terrible distress. But I'm speaking these things to you that you may remember when the time comes, you'll remember what I said. Stir yourselves and lay hold on the comfort and the peace that I am able to give you. Because 
because why because he says i have i have he's speaking he hasn't gone away yet that little while hasn't taken place yet he hasn't been to the cross yet he hasn't died yet he hasn't risen yet and yet he's talking like it's been done i have overcome the world he says but he's speaking the language of faith don't you see that's how jesus does it every step of the way it's faith he speaks in isaiah chapter 50 he is near me he says who will vindicate me who will justify me by faith he expects his father his father being the triune god that is by faith he expects god to vindicate him as he hangs on that cross alone in god's universe with the curse and the wrath of god lying upon him in faith in faith he believes that god will bring him through that will lift that from off of him faith the faith of our lord jesus christ and that's what he's telling us is by faith it's the same way that you overcome the world the same as i have done that's how you overcome because jesus is now dead is now risen is now exalted is now enthroned and and controls the world not satan it's under his power but he's like a junkyard dog oh jesus has the other end of the chain in his hand and he yanks it just whenever he pleases to the apocalypse the four horses the seals are opened the gospel goes conquers huh? wherever in the world and whenever jesus pleases it shall do he he's in control of the preaching of the gospel in every age yeah the pale horse death the red horse ward the economy he controls it all king jesus he's overcome he's conquered the world he's our conqueror he's our victor and through him through faith in him and his name we have the victory beloved live in that victory and not in fear of the world So through the narrow gate the way is narrow yes we don't deny it yes it's narrow because got the world either side trying to get us to compromise squeezing us pressurizing us seeking to tempt you to lure you tribulation squeezed now to conform to the world's culture its practices doing that already isn't it many churches third the land look at the worldliness in it look at the the worldly methods that they're turning to 
the nations that are giving way to all the same-sex filth. The very denomination that I was raised in, the Church of Scotland, just in this last year, has driven its final nail into its own coffin in adopting the principles of same-sex lunacy. Folding like a pack of cards. Doing the very opposite to what Jesus tells us to do here. Take heart, take courage. I've overcome the world. Stand against it. Don't give way to it. Because by the power of his cross, his dying, we have the victory through his blood shed for our sins, our justification. And the proof and the evidence of that victory is his resurrection from the dead. Romans 4, is it 5? Now, now the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Now all authority in heaven and on earth and all the world is given to to me he says he rules this is God's world this world belongs to my saviour he purchases it with his blood it's not Satan's and he's coming again to cleanse it and renew it yeah so remember all you where this began back in chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. It's a message. Don't be troubled. Don't the world trouble you. Yeah? Believe in God. But go further than that. Believe also in me. Because in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven's a reality. It waits for you. It's prepared for you. Even were the world to squeeze you out of the world, send you to glory. The world would tell you, Dismiss that thought. That's nonsense. That's a fairy story. Jesus says, your Savior says, if it were not so, I would have told you so. I am going to prepare a place for you. Heaven is a reality. So believe. Faith. You only stand by grace through faith. As you have begun, he's saying to his disciples, as you have begun, so continue, so go on. Abide in me. Abide in my word. Abide in my love. That's the pathway to glory. Amen. Let's sing as we come to our close in this morning, number... Seven hundred.